We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Well, we welcome you in for service tonight. Let's turn our Bibles to Second Chronicles 34, please. Second Chronicles and the 34th chapter, coming near to the end of this book. And as mentioned, we're reading the last of the books that we had not yet read in our Sunday morning services. So this will complete our Bible reading here just in a few weeks. Second Chronicles 34, Josiah, uh, it tells us in the last verse of 25 that Josiah was made king in the place of his father Ammon, who, like Manasseh before him, was a wicked king, although Manasseh did repent later on. Josiah, Manasseh's grandson, was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Thus reads the inspired commentary on his whole ministry and life to the nation of Israel. But we'll find out that it took a little while for him to actually find out some of the material that his father David knew. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the, the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Maasai, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Jehath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. 
Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and, the king, and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent, me to, sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out in this, on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on the, this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the houses of the Lord. Sorry, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of, inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Well, that's a blessing to read that. And it demonstrates to us the power of one man's spiritual leadership in a place that it can lead a whole nation even into obedience to God. And I really appreciate that example. All right, I'm going to turn this uh, sacred desk here over to uh, Mr. Lorch and ask that he will bring us some uh, good words from the Word because we need them. And uh, those online need them as well. Welcome if you're online tonight. Thank you for participating with us that way. Jansen. Good evening to those who are joining us online this evening, either live or perhaps later on you'll listen to this and pray you'll be blessed by the reading of God's Word. This evening I have uh, two things in mind to accomplish, Lord willing. One is to revisit a passage that I spoke on um, just a while back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, and we'll start there this evening. And what I'd like to do is uh, just flesh out a little bit more application from that passage that we didn't necessarily get to last time and revisit that just for a few minutes this evening. And then with whatever time we have remaining, I'd like to answer uh, one question that was posed to me after, I think it was last week's Sunday school uh, class that I was teaching on, did Jesus preach the gospel? And uh, someone came up to me afterwards and asked a question related to that topic. And so uh, I hope to answer that this evening as much as I possibly can. And um, if you're listening to uh, the live stream now, the person that asked that isn't here, but if, if you're listening to that, please let me know if I correctly uh, worded your question or if you have somewhat, uh, or if you aren't uh, content with the answer completely, I'll try to do a little bit more work on it 
and, uh, and bring more from, from God's word concerning your question there. But let's uh, begin by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, let me just read the passage again that we were looking at. And um, we'll begin back uh, in actually verse 12, because that's kind of the, uh, the limits of this, of this passage. And uh, I'll read through verse 17. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas and to preach the Christ gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are not to... For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, just for a little bit of review, we said that Paul here obviously is writing to the Corinthians, and in verses 12 and 13, he is explaining how he was tremendously uh, raw about the situation going on in the Corinthian church because of the unrepentant sin there that existed in the life of the church. And so, uh, not having yet received a word about how they responded to his letter of reproach, Paul then goes on and moves actually out of a gospel opportunity, out of an open door that he had, to go find out from Titus uh, what was the spiritual status of the Corinthians. And then in verses 14 through 17, Paul goes on, though, to give thanks to God. And what I posited last time was that regardless of the situation in Corinth, Paul was seeking to find ways in which he could give thanks to God uh, for the ministry he was in and for uh, the work that God had for him, regardless of whether the Corinthians responded well or not to his former letter. Now, in verses 14 and 17, Paul gives us what I said were two reasons for giving thanks. One, because he all, God always leads us in triumph in Christ. And we spoke about how this uh, analogy that Paul is using here is most likely an analogy from the, uh, the Roman kind of conquering processions that would take place after uh, the Romans would take, uh, have victory over a war over their enemies and there would be a, a, a triumphant procession uh, to Rome in which uh, the general of the army would be receiving all glory and honor for his, his uh, accomplishments on the battlefield. And Paul is using this analogy, and we spoke more about what that procession would look like to represent uh, God as the general of that triumphant procession, receiving the honor and glory due to him for, uh, for having, through his son, uh, had victory over sin and death. We then ask the question, though, what is, how is Paul seeing himself in relationship to this triumphant procession? Does he see himself as one of the soldiers in the battle who, on returning to Rome, was uh, partaking in the glory that this general was receiving? Or was he a, a slave, a captive of the enemy, and uh, being led in captivity, so to speak, in this procession? And, we, and I posited, and I believe that Paul is seeing himself as one of the soldiers who is in part receiving part of the honor and glory uh, that is due to, to God because Paul is a part of the work that God is doing of redeeming people and, and, uh, and conquering sin. We then looked at a second reason for which Paul gives thanks, and that is that through us, God diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We said that uh, the believer himself is actually an aroma to God in which God is receiving uh, pleasure and glory through the gospel witness of believers. 
and he is a fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance to God, when his life, his character, and his words uh, proclaim the gospel truths. We see also, though, in verses 15 and 16 that uh, not only are we an aroma to God himself, but we are also an aroma to those around us in two specific kinds of categories of people. One, uh, those who are being saved, and the other, those who are perishing. And to the former, our gospel fragrance through our our life and through our words is an aroma of life. It is life-giving like the life-giving water that Christ offered the woman at the well. It is life-giving, and it in turn results in eternal life for those who respond to its saving work. On the other hand, to those who are perishing, our gospel fragrance is an aroma of death leading or resulting in death. To some, when we speak Christ in the gospel... Through our very lives and through the words which we proclaim, the gospel is a pungent, repulsive odor and is foolishness in the sight of those who are perishing, only further condemning them to their just judgment in, in hell. And so uh, we looked at this passage, and finally in verse 17, we, we said that Paul presents himself as a servant of Christ, not one peddling the word of God for dishonest gain or out of greed, but doing it out of sincere motives, being one sent from God and being one who is accountable in the sight of God for his message and for his, his motives. And from that this evening and from what we looked at last time, I just want to uh, bring out about eight different applications, not lengthy ones, but just uh, eight different applications that we can learn from this, this passage in our gospel witness. Number one, God's chosen means of manifesting the gospel to the world is through believers. He has not chosen some miraculous means of of getting the gospel out. He has chosen to use ordinary means of people sharing Christ to win others to him. That means that through you, God is actively and continually manifesting the fragrant gospel of Jesus Christ to the extent that your very life is a repulsive odor to some, while a sweet-smelling aroma to others, like our passage reveals to us. The world does not like the stench, quote-unquote, that Christians put off, because Christians do not participate nor approve of their evil desires. They hate the Christian message because it points out that their sin, points out their sin, and that they are accountable to God. And it calls them to submit to the lordship of Christ, for which they do not want to do. The very death of Christ as a substitutionary atonement for sin is foolishness in their eyes. Secondly, we can apply this passage in understanding that your gospel witness is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Verse 15 tells us this. This means that whether the person you are witnessing to is receptive or not to what you have to say, you, through your witness, are a pleasing aroma to God. Let me ask you this question. Do you want your life to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God? Then be fit and useful, a useful vessel for God to manifest the gospel through. Ask yourself this evening, even as you fall asleep this evening, am I a fit and useful vessel for God's use? Am I a sweet-smelling aroma to God through my life and through the words I proclaim to the lost? If not, I pray that you'll confess any sin in your life and be useful to God to, to diffuse the fragrance of the gospel through. Thirdly, let me, uh, let me encourage and exhort you this evening to not treat your gospel witness lightly. It is, a frightening, it is frightening to think that our witness to Christ is a message that results in eternal condemnation for some. 
How a person responds to the gospel determines whether their final fate is eternal life or eternal death. If they refuse Christ, our witness becomes a sort of death blow to them. We dare not treat our witnessing lightly as those who receive it are either condemned to eternal death or receive eternal life. We have a monumental task given to us in our gospel witness, and may we not take it lightly, the power of the words which we speak. Fourthly, God has given you the undeserving privilege of sharing a message that to some will be life-giving, resulting in abundant life. What a blessing, what a privilege it is to be a part of that work. Of course, it is the Lord and our God who receives glory for what he does. He is the one that gives the life and abundant life, but he has chosen to use weak vessels and undeserving vessels like us to proclaim that abundant life. Your gospel witness to some is the lifeline that saves them from the terrible path of destruction that they were walking down. What a blessing and a privilege it is, an undeserving privilege to be that lifeline for some. Fifthly, we are all inadequate for the responsibility of sharing such a powerful life-giving or death-blow message entrusted to us. Any feelings of insufficiency that you may be feeling in your gospel witness within yourself are biblically grounded. And I would even go as far to say are an appropriate response to the responsibility that we hold. Our sufficiency arises not from within, but from the grace of God at work in us. If Paul can recognize that, we should too. God bestows the necessary sufficiency we need to carry out his ministry. If God has chosen, and he has, to dispense the fragrant gospel of Christ through you, certainly he will supply in you the needed tools to accomplish his task. So as much as we may feel insufficient, let us not then be hesitant in our gospel witness, because if this is the way and means in which God has chosen, he will provide all the necessary tools and words for you to use in your witness. Think of Moses. When he felt insufficient for the task of uh, going to Pharaoh, God told him that he would be with him. God is with you in your gospel witness, and he will lead you, and he will provide all the things you need. He will be your sufficiency. Let us also remember in our gospel witness that our insufficiency arises from our own past sinfulness and present sinfulness. What do I mean, what do I mean by this? Well, when we recognize that we too were once lost in our sin, we are humbled in our witness and able to better sympathize with those we're seeking to reach. You were once an enemy of God, given over by God to carry out your evil desires. You were once heading down a path leading to eternal condemnation. You were, as they were, are. And so we can sympathize, though at the same time calling them to repent as well. May we not forget that we too ourselves were sinners and still continue to sin, and so we need the forgiveness of Christ just as they do. One more this evening from this passage, another application is this. We are not all in the business, or let me say it this way, we are not in the business of selling the gospel just as a salesman sells a, a vehicle, perhaps, to, in, a, uh, in a dealership to earn himself a profit. Our ministry of evangelism is for the honor and pleasure of God and for the profit of others who need to hear it. We are not, as Paul says, peddlers of the gospel. If we are simply in it for 
the number of conversions, perhaps the recognition, the attaboy slap on the back after sharing the gospel, then we are operating under the wrong motive. We are not operating out of a sincere one, a biblical one, but out of a selfish and self-centered motive. Of course, there is blessing and fulfillment that comes from being able to share the gospel and see people respond to it, but that is not why we witness. That is just a a blessing that is an outflow of, of doing that. Furthermore, we do not alter the truth to make it more palatable, like perhaps a salesman will do, a technique to make it sound more pleasant, more, more uh, something uh, you know, that they'd want to take and want to have. Rather, we present it as the Word of God shows us. We are accountable to God for what we say and the motives behind our words, and so as Paul, we must remember in our gospel witness that we have been sent from God, servants and as ministers of the gospel, and we speak in the sight of God. We are accountable to him for all that we say and do. And so like Paul, may we speak out of sincerity, being the fragrance of the gospel of Christ in all that we do and say. Those are just a few of the thoughts that I had this evening from this portion of God's word, and I hope that uh, you find encouragement and edification from it, but I also want to take some time this evening to answer another question that I received uh, concerning our our, um, series on evangelism. And someone asked me a question uh, regarding the kingdom of God and how we are to present the kingdom of God in our evangelism. Because uh, last time during Sunday school, I said that, uh, that it's important in our gospel presentation that we share with someone how their personal salvation relates to the kingdom of God. And the question was, and again, correct me if I got it slightly wrong or if I didn't uh, kind of narrow down on what you were asking, but the question was something like this. Should we present the kingdom of God in our evangelism the same way Jesus offered the kingdom of God during his earthly ministry? Let me just say it one more time so it's kind of ingrained into your mind as we look at and consider the question. It was something like this. Should we present the kingdom of God in our evangelism to others in the same way that Jesus was offering the kingdom of God in his earthly ministry. Now, I have tried to, in the last uh, few weeks, as we've spoken about this topic of Jesus preaching the gospel, I've tried to emphasize at different points that we should explain in our gospel witness that Christ is Lord and King and is returning to establish his kingdom and rule over all the earth. And I believe the person who asked the question is in, gre- in agreement with this fact, but they also pointed out that there seemingly remains a level of discontinuity between Christ's message and, and our message, in that uh, what Jesus was seeking to accomplish, maybe what we could posit, was slightly different than what we are seeking to accomplish in our gospel witness. And so uh, we'll consider this question for the remainder of our time this evening. And I think the reason that this person asked this question is because, after all, Jesus was calling a nation, the nation of Israel, to repent and believe into him because or for the kingdom of God was at hand. We know this to be the case. Uh, This is the gospel that Christ preached and John the Baptist, his forerunner preached, Matthew chapter 3. Why don't we just look at uh, that and maybe one or two others here. Matthew chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Later on in chapter 4, verse 17, getting the right chapter here. Chapter 4, verse 17, it says, and from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then also, uh, one more passage here in regards to this point in Mark chapter 1. Mark begins his 
gospel account by saying this in chapter 1, verse 15. Let me begin in verse 14. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we see here that, again, that Jesus is calling people to repent and to believe because the kingdom of God was at hand. It was being offered to the nation of Israel if they were to accept it and believe in him as the Messiah. Now, I think Pastor actually brought this up, maybe it was last week, but him and I had been talking about this as well. Hypothetically, had Israel responded rightly to Christ's message, the gospel of the kingdom, Christ soon after would have established the kingdom of God and Israel would have received the covenantal blessings promised to them in the new covenant. But of course, we know this did not happen and we perceive according to God's divine will that it wouldn't happen at this time. We know that Israel as a whole rejected the king. John chapter 1 verse 11 says he came unto his own, but his own did receive him not. In uh, John chapter 19, let me read that verse. John chapter 19, verse 21. This is um, another instance where we know for a fact that Israel did reject him as king and therefore rejected the offer of the kingdom. It says uh, in verse 19, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Verse 20, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And then verse 21, therefore the chief priests of the Jews, the spiritual leaders of the nation, said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Why did they want him to change the writing? Well, because they were rejecting him as the king. They were not receiving him as the Messiah, and so they did not want it to be perceived as if he was their king. Of course, uh, Pilate answers, what I have written, I have written. And uh, we, could, we could say that it is a blessing uh, that Pilate decided to leave it there and to proclaim, even in Christ's death, who Jesus was. So we know um, from this and from many other, uh, many other passages that Israel rejected the king and the offer of the kingdom of God was taken off the table, so to speak, and delayed until a later time. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, give us a parable of a, of a, uh, a master who goes to a far country and uh, will return at a later time. And uh, we learn from this passage that, and others that the kingdom of God was being delayed the offer was being taken off the table, and uh, the kingdom of God was not going to be established at that time because of Israel's rejection of Christ. This is also confirmed in part by the fact that Jesus began to speak in parables and no longer spoke plainly concerning the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 11 alludes to this fact, this idea. I know we're all over um, the Gospels this evening, but bear with me. Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 10, it says, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. This is uh, regarding the parable of the soils earlier on, the, on in the chapter here. And... Um, in verse 11, it says, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. For those who are hardened in heart, who had ears that were blocked up, God, or Christ chose not to reveal these, the mystery concerning the kingdom of God, but began to speak in parables, hiding uh, what was once proclaimed as plain, plainly the truth, and now kind of uh, uh, 
hiding it or shadowing it within the parables so that only those who had ears to hear would understand uh, the meaning of the parables. Of course, even then, we know at times that uh, even the disciples struggled with understanding what the parables meant, and so Christ would have to, at times, take them aside and explain to them exactly uh, what the parables meant, but Christ was hiding and choosing to uh, kind of cloak some of the what was once plainly spoken about the kingdom now within parables. So as we seek to answer this question, I, the best way that I could think about this and answer it in a kind of uh, an outlined manner is this, that we should make a distinction between the response to the, to the gospel of the kingdom of God and the result that they would, uh, that they would receive from responding properly. So then when we ask the question, should we then be presenting the kingdom of God in the same way Jesus did if the kingdom of God was offered to Israel and Israel rejected the offer, the answer that I have uh, come to and have concluded the best way to answer it is by pointing out that there is a distinction between the response to the gospel of the kingdom and the result or outcome of that response. And so let's first look at the proper response to the gospel of the kingdom of God and look at the similarities between um, what Christ was calling them to, how, or let me put it this way, how Christ was calling them to respond and how we are calling others today to respond to this gospel message. And I say this, the only proper response for anyone at any time who desires to see the kingdom of God is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not even the most devout Jewish person person during Jesus' ministry could have seen the kingdom of God unless they responded to the gospel with saving faith. Neither their descendancy from Abraham nor circumcision nor any kind of relationship to the Jewish nation would give them any better chance or access to the kingdom of God. We know this from various passages, one of them being uh, Matthew chapter 3. Let me read that for you this evening. Matthew chapter 3, beginning uh, in verse 7. Matthew 3, verse 7, but when, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you, that is Christ, with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see even here from early on in John's ministry that uh, he was calling out the fact that Uh, whatever kind of means the Pharisees and Sadducees were relying on, uh, in this case, that Abraham was their father, so they're, you know, check the box, okay. John is calling them out uh, that they are wrong on this this matter. Another passage um, is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Let me read that for you as well. Matthew, or John chapter 8, verse 31. It says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, a slave of sin. 
And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that I speak what I have seen with my father and you do not and you do what you have seen with your father. So Jesus is uh, revealing to them that uh, in order to be made free, they must be born again, they must be freed from their sin to believe into him and not uh, be deceived in their hearts by thinking that uh, their descendancy from Abraham uh, has given them any kind of merit. This principle that in order to be born again and to see the kingdom of God is only by saving faith in Jesus Christ is a timeless principle for all ages. However, even like last time in our Sunday school, we said that Abraham may have not known all of the specific details of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. He was still believing into into God and faith, like a pastor even spoke of this morning, and it was accounted to him as righteousness or for righteousness. So then, whether you were a Jew or Gentile living during the time of Christ's earthly ministry, or you are a Jew or Gentile today in the church age, in the 21st century, the only means of ever entering the kingdom of God and seeing it is to be born again by the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that, does it not? Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So then, and in part, in part to answer the question, uh, the response to the gospel of the kingdom of God is the same as it was during Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus was calling people to repent, to believe, in order to see the kingdom of God, and we too today proclaim the same message. Repent and believe, be born again if you desire to see the kingdom. However, there I do believe is a distinction between the immediate result and outcome of responding to the gospel of the kingdom of God. What do I mean by this? Well, we can make a distinction between the hypothetical response or outcome of those who were offered the kingdom during Christ's ministry and the result and outcome of those who are being saved today. Had, as we said earlier, the, the nation of Israel responded to the kingdom of God and to the message, they would have received it, it would have been established, and the immediate outcome, outcome would have been the, the uh, Christ establishing his kingdom, but that is not the case, and so uh, we see that the kingdom is delayed, and that offer is no longer on the table, but that does not mean that we no longer proclaim that message. We still proclaim it today, however, we know that there is not quite the immediacy, so to speak, of the kingdom coming, yet, let me qualify that statement and say, there still is. We do proclaim the imminent return of Christ. He will return at any moment. And so, in that sense, the kingdom of God is still at hand. It is coming. It is coming quickly. And so we call people to respond in saving faith, like Christ was calling the, the uh, Israelite, Israelite nation to do. Scripture is clear that the kingdom is future and uh, distinct from the church age. We see from Scripture that the mystery of the church was revealed to the apostles, and with that it was made known that God's plan of redemption was broader than the nation of Israel. God was some, doing something greater than just saving his people. He was calling all people to, to repentance, Romans uh, chapter 9 and 10 speak about this. The result then of those who are born again is spiritual. Let me say it again this way. The result of those who are believing into Christ in this day and age is spiritual baptism into the body of Christ. They are born again, they're regenerated, and they are baptized into the body of Christ. Romans chapter 3 verse 22 
tells us this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Galatians 3, 28, Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, and in Colossians 3, 11, all reinforce this fact that those who are born again are, are baptized into the body of Christ. They are being placed into the church, and that is a part of what God is doing in this age. We have been commissioned to build the church, which is the body of Christ. We are not building the kingdom of God right now. We are calling individual souls to personally respond to the gospel. And the outcome is that they are placed into the body of Christ in this age. However, without disregarding that fact, we can and should also present to those who we are witnessing to that there is an imminent day coming when Christ will return, and not long after that, he will establish his kingdom. And if they desire to enter into the kingdom of God, they should respond properly to the gospel. So, when asking the question, should we present it in the same way or not, I would say, in part, yes, we are calling them to respond in the same manner. The people of Israel needed to respond in a personal manner, in an individual manner, to the gospel in order to see the kingdom. And so today, we are calling the lost to respond in the same way by believing into Christ. However, the outcome is slightly different in that those who are believing today are baptized into the body of Christ and they uh, will not yet at least at this time experience the blessings of the kingdom until a later time however it doesn't mean that the whole topic is off the table as if we don't speak concerning the kingdom of God we know that even the apostles spoke concerning this kingdom even after Christ's ministry ended in Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 Paul lists a, uh, a number of kinds of people who he says will not inherit the kingdom of God. Liars, adulterers, and the like will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that Paul spoke concerning the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 4.18 um, also uh, speaks concerning this. Let me... Uh, Turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. It says, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. I don't make a distinction here between the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's it's, uh, the idea behind that is the origin is from heaven. It is a kingdom coming from heaven, from God. This heavenly kingdom is of heavenly origin. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about uh, his calling or choosing you, For in this way, the entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. There's a number of other passages as well that speak concerning the kingdom of God and uh, the believer's inheritance of that. And so we don't, we don't not speak about it in our gospel presentation. We see that the apostles spoke of it and proclaimed that those who are being born again will receive the blessings of the kingdom. It's not as if the church does not sustain any relationship with the kingdom of God at all. Church saints are regarded proleptically as participants of the kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have the, the uh, blessing of being... Uh, a benefactor of that kingdom in time to come. Now, many use this verse to suggest that the church is presently enjoying the kingdom in some form. It is probable, however, that ver this verse uh, should be regarded 
uh, as also concerning or specifically concerning a future kingdom as well. Furthermore, the church will be co-regent with Christ during the millennium, serving as part of the royal family, per se, and as administrators in the highest uh, places of millennial rule. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12 tells us, if we endure, we also will reign with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 says, do you not know that all the saints will judge the world? Revelations 3, Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so we see that there is a, a, a sense in which uh, we should be preaching the believer's relationship to this future kingdom. Though it may not be in the same kind of... Uh, Though the outcome may not be as immediate or exactly the same as the offer that Christ was giving to the nation of Israel, on an individual level, it remains the same. Every person who is born again will see the kingdom of God. Perhaps it will be tomorrow that Christ will return, and then the kingdom of of God will be very imminent. Perhaps it will be a while off later. But either way, the believer does enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God. And the result is they have a place there in that kingdom in which they will enjoy uh, God's, God's blessings through the nation of Israel, which the kingdom of God has been promised to. Let's close in a word in a word of prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as we have considered in the time that we had this evening, uh, both application from um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians regarding our, our responsibility and great, great uh, responsibility to share the word of God with others, to be the fragrant aroma of the knowledge of Christ to those who are being saved. Lord, what a privilege, an undeserving privilege that is, that you have called us into that kind of ministry. Lord, we also pray this evening as we've considered uh, how we are to think biblically about our gospel witness and in proclaiming the kingdom of God, may we do it with clarity. Lord, may your people proclaim it as a kingdom which is imminent. Lord, it is coming. And, Lord, they need to be rightly related to the king. Lord, we, we know and we understand we're enjoying the, uh, the blessings of the church age, and we have a responsibility in this age to be building the church. But, Lord, uh, we also don't disregard the fact that there is more to it than just our individual salvation. And there is more that you will do in the future in, uh, in providing and bestowing the blessings promised to the nation of Israel in the kingdom of God, Lord, and, and also allowing us, undeservingly so, to benefit uh, from that as well. Lord, help us as we go this evening to consider these things, Lord, and to apply it to our lives and to, uh, to dispense the fragrance of Christ this week to those who need to hear it and to uh, receive it. Lord, may it be life-giving to them. May you give them abundant life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, Take some time this evening to enjoy the fellowship with those who are here. If you're online, we hope to see you soon. Uh, Be be out this Wednesday evening. If you you can make it in person to join us in some prayer, study of God's word. If not, you can join us over the phone as well. We have that uh, in place for you to do, but have a good evening. May the Lord bless you this week.